current events. Cutting edge. Faith. It's, it's awesome. Encouragement on the go. <laughs> it's the SOS Radio Podcast. Feels like summer just started and now the school year is kicking off for our kids. And you know that that has all kinds of disruptions for us as parents. We're talking with Dr. Rhonda Spencer Wong today at SOS Radio. How are you? Wonderful. Busy, but wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Working mom, you're a professor at Loma Linda University, oh, working in health and human services. Oh, you know what? There is so much going on that changes as our kids go back to school. Definitely. Definitely. Now, it's interesting because there's a resilience that comes with flexibility, right? And we get used to a pattern, we get used to a schedule, and we look for those patterns to replicate themselves. But sometimes there's adversity that steps in. Sometimes there's obstacles that step in. And sometimes there's just pattern disruptors. They throw us off, and we want to train our kids to be resilient. We've got to look at those patterns, Rhonda. Yes, absolutely. And some of the best patterns to look at are people who have been here before, especially in the pandemic. And that's people who are 100 or older or centenarians. Yeah, you did a whole lot of research to study, okay, what is making success for those that have lived a long life and have seen the ebb and flow of culture, but have also seen the health and things change, the mental challenges and the adversity that comes with different generations? Because I know when we're like 30, 40, 50 years old, we're just seeing right where we live. That's right. And never before is it more critical to look to what has been done, you know, by the older generation or those that are 100, than when a winter season hits us. And when we're in a massive pandemic, we really want to go to those centenarians or the people who are outside our generation because they have the wisdom, right? And the Bible even encourages us, you know, the wisdom is found in the Bible and with those that are aged and have a lot of the silver hair. So as you were studying a whole lot of people age 100 or over, what sort of patterns and consistent things did you notice? Maybe off the top, one of the first things that I noticed was not something I was prepared for. I went in to interview them, and let me give you a little background. I went to interview them because as a parent, my youngest at the time was one, and I had a couple older kids, I think 10 and 11. And I really wanted to find out, how do I do things better? Because the speed of life we were living at, even pre-pandemic, you know, is out of control. We're, I was really literally living by the seat of my pants, getting them everywhere, doing everything. I felt inside of me this calling of do something different. And so my background is I'm public health. I'm also an epidemiologist. So when I'm not teaching the classroom and chasing my kids, I'm hunting down the, right now we're fighting the COVID pandemic. So I really wanted, back then, we didn't know about the pandemic, you know, but the speed of life was so hectic. So I went to and thought, I'm going to interview these centenarians because I live in a region here. If you Google like, you know, Loma Linda or the Fountain of Youth, we have a lot of centenarians here. People come from all around the world, from Israel. They want to see what we have, if it's in the water, right? And they want to know where it is. So I started with my husband's great aunt. She's now the oldest in Loma Linda, 108. But back then she was like 101, still living independently, driving her own car, just, you know, still amazing and full of life. And so I went to find out a better way. First thing I learned, they had such a hard life. I mean, you'll hear of adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. They had plenty of them, and these ACEs set them up for even a shortened lifespan, let alone they're not going to have a great life, but they're the contrary. In fact, I call them, they're one of the first resiliency capitals in the world to be identified because they overcame 
trauma and hardship and death and, of course, the Spanish flu, 1918, that pandemic. So that was one of the first things I was blown away was, wow, they have such wisdom for overcoming what life throws your way. And who would have thought, the start of my research was like six or eight years ago, who would have thought that it would be so fitting for what we face today? So that was one of the first, the trauma and the hardship. I wasn't prepared. I thought they had a cake life. So tell us a little bit about the resilience capitals. I mean, like, explain why that's significant for family life today in our generation. One of the things I did was compare how my current family life is with what the centenarians did, because really, you know, longevity often starts in your childhood, right? You set up these habits that you last a lifetime. So it's really important for families to get that. And when I look at the practices, you don't notice it because it's this small decline, right? In the pace of life is picking up. The habits that we're doing is slowly drifting away from those habits that the centenarians had and really were protective for life, right? So I didn't notice it until I looked and said, let me compare my life with the centenarians. And then I realized, wow, in every one of the categories, I'm far away from what they practiced. And so I know it's taking a toll on my health, on my kids' health, on their ability to succeed, right? Because if you aren't healthy and well, you know, mind, body, spirit, it dampens your abilities. It dampens your happiness and your creativity and all of that. So even in the book, I have a survey where you can take stock in your life and see how you compare. And yeah, that we're only beginning to scratch the surface of how important those habits are that they practice influence health. We're talking about raising resilient kids with Dr. Rhonda Spencer-Wong today at SWS Radio. And a lot of times, Rhonda, we get sort of stuck in this way we do things and we get comfortable. You know, there's those patterns that we just default to. And we try to get our kids to change the way they go about doing things like, say, for school, say, getting organized, say, the way that they get motivated. I mean, what are some of the ways you found to encourage positive change without just like defaulting to the typical guilt trip strategy? One of the things I say is you're in it as a family, right? So it's not just the focus of the kids. And a lot of times our focus is right now, really as parents, it is to the point of, if you've ever heard of the helicopter parent, the snowplow parent, the, I even call them the orange jumpsuit parent, you know, they'll make decisions that might end them up in a place that's, you know, with barbed wire and big walls, right? So they're in prison. So we might make these choices thinking, you know, we're doing the better for our children, but really the focus is the family unit, not just the child. And so one of the things I say is, if you want to start somewhere, it starts with taking a good look at your calendar. What in a time inventory, what are those things you're putting in and what are those things you're going to take out to change where you need to go? And parents, we have to practice it too. It can't just be for the kids. And right now, when the pandemic waxes and wanes, like it's going to rise, it's going to fall. In fact, in September, we're thinking it's going to explode again because we'll hit Labor Day. But then it'll decline again. And as things decline and open, one of the things I want to caution all parents and all of us is overloading our schedules. We're going to feel like we lost a whole year. By golly, you know, we've, we've lost this year. It's a critical year. We got to get back up. So now if we thought we were overloaded with every activity and all these things, we're going to be even worse. So one of the first things I tell parents is resist the urge. That's a society norm. That's something you might feel regularly, but it's not good. It's not the way we were designed to live, right? And part of me, I feel like we hear the call in our life from God less and less because of this pace that we're living at. So first thing, 
Unpack your calendars. Don't pack them so full. Take a breath in the clear space. Leave some of that clear space because that is not a healthy way to live. It's not a resilient way to live. We're talking about raising kids who can overcome obstacles and thrive despite the adversity that life throws at them. And we're talking with Ron Spencer Wong today at SWIS Radio. And You know, when we're raising a family, we do our best to protect our kids, right? And there's those times when we have to let them go and we just have to pray that what we taught them will be lived out in the way that they interact with others and show that love and grace while still living by the truth that we're trying to hold them accountable to, right? And you just wrote a book called Raising Resilient Kids, Ron. I mean, what are some of the methods that we can use as parents to sort of ensure that our kids are at least equipped to head off to school when we know culture is pulling everything against what we're trying to teach them as Christians. Yeah, I have to say it's really a scary world, especially like in the pandemic or with, you know, if there's violence or what they're exposed to at school. One of the things that, well, there's two things from the centenarians that they really hit home. One was really equipping your kids with this comfort of prayer, right? And learning to seek God in prayer, not just for the tests, right, or the big things, but even in the mundane, everyday things that we don't take, you know, like saying prayer before you travel to school or, you know, that you'll have a happy relationship with a friend or something like that, or be able to um, be a blessing to someone else. How are you going to do that that day? So really encouraging and teaching your kids, it's prayer, not just in the crisis time, but in the routine times for the mundane things that we don't think about, and then taking time to do that. Another thing is, you know, like the blessings at the end of the day, really sitting down before bed and thinking about the small things that you're thankful for and recording those. We have a jar that we put in the blessings and at the end of the year, we pull them out and go through them because you forget. And then the centenarians used this at the dinner time table. Everybody came regardless of whether they were hungry or not. Hunger, wasn't, hunger was not a requirement to sit down. It was the the centenarian who was, her parent was a former child of slaves. They were African-American, and it was a way that they protected their family from the hardships of slavery. At the mealtime, they sat down and they would ask the family, how did you deal? Did anything happen today? How should we do it different? Her mother had passed away, and it was the father raising all these kids. And so they continued on this legacy of this dinnertime conversation. And so I want to ask parents, how many of you still sit down at the dinner table? Or when the pandemic lifts, you know, are you going to go back to that schedule where, you know, we're having meetings at 4.30, 5 o'clock, or, you know, maybe it's something on the fly, right? Grabbing meals. You're missing kind of that connection if you don't have that time. And I say, if you don't have it right now, start with one day and grow from there. But really, there's scientific study to back up the value of resiliency with this connection through, you know, a meal or a dinner time. Now, we're talking about the role that prayer plays in our family with Dr. Rhonda Spencer Wong today at SWS Radio. And a minute ago, you were talking about how we don't just want to, like, pray for the things that we need, but we also want to seek God to be the comfort. And we can do that as a role that prayer plays in our family. And we're looking at the family as a whole, not just, like, parenting that one kid or solving that individual problem, but looking at, like, how we're parenting our family. And it's interesting because a lot of times we 
pray things and we say things and we read things, but we forget that we actually have to believe what we're praying. That like we have a God that's big enough to actually solve these problems. And we have a God that's worth being worshipped. You know, we have a God who also is a comforter. And, you know, it's funny because a lot of times we live life like God's a part of our life, but we don't pray like he's actually the center of our life and our entire family. That's right. Yeah. And part of that starts even at the beginning of the day. Lord, I'm available. If you need me to do something on your behalf, go ahead and interrupt me, right? Versus typically when we set our calendars, that's set in stone and, you know, we can't be bothered or we don't hear that small voice calling us to do something, right? Because we're so busy. And so I think we have to really intentionally train ourselves. And I'm guilty too. I forget sometimes in the middle of a pandemic, but there's been times when here in San Bernardino County, I have 5,000 cases in one day of COVID. It's almost hopeless. And so one of the first things I do as an epidemiologist, but as a Christian is to say, okay, Lord, how are we going to manage this? It's beyond what we have trained, right? It's beyond what we do. And I forgot to do this one time at the table, it was my own daughter who's 10 that said, I said, there's nothing we can do. She said, there's always something you can do. You can pray. And it dawned on me. These are the seeds I had planted early with them. And they're now coming back, you know, growing into this plant. And I thought that is brilliant, right? Always there's things you can do. And planting those seeds of prayer, not just for the crises, but, you know, even in the Monday times, God you know, in the morning, God, make me available. If you need me, I'm here. You know, I have my plans, but it's adaptable, right? So start the day with that prayer. It's such a strange season how fear is being churned up again and again and again, and we feel like we're managing it and not succeeding through it. And we're talking with Dr. Rhonda Spencer Wong today at SWS Radio. She's a professor at Loma Linda University. She's also an epidemiologist in San Bernardino County. And Rhonda, what have you noticed about the way that fear is churning through with all the inconsistent things that everyone feels like they're hearing? It's like, okay, my state says this. The CDC says this. Um, if you have COVID, you shouldn't be able to get it again. Or if you're vaccinated, you shouldn't be able to get it again. Or if you're wearing masks, it's like you hear all these things and then you see other things sort of unfolding. As you're seeing through all that, what have you noticed about dealing with the fear of the what ifs that are going on? So one of the things I've learned from the centenarians is just be prepared, steady your own boat, do what you can, right? And I also say back then they didn't even have the government saying these things. So, yeah, you know, there's that confusion. But I turn it inward and just say, okay, what is it I'm going to do, right? What can I do? And as an epidemiologist, I know until the virus is gone, it's going to do funny things and it's going to surprise government. It's going to surprise people. But in my heart, I know, okay, I'm going to steady my own boat. I'm going to do the things that I can do to help protect my family, protect my friends and protect my loved ones and my students wherever I go. So the, the choices I'm making is out of faith in God, but then I do the things too out of love for others. One of the biggest things I see that we're going to need as Christians to do is show up with love because with the fear comes the anger and people are really on the edge of their seats, mad and saying, you told us this one thing, now you're saying another. And what I have to say is steady your boat, catch yourself if you feel this anger coming because when your day is filled by anger, it's a lost day. You want to get rid of that. And this pandemic, it's going to wax and wane. We're going to be in this probably for a while longer. So you just know that. 
you do what you can do, even though the government is saying no mask, no mask. I always wear the mask because I don't want to be sick, you know, with regular flu, let alone, you know, I, I did have COVID early on. A family member brought it before the vaccine and it was one of the worst sicknesses I've ever had. That said, I take precaution to not put myself where if there's a risk, I might get it again. I don't like risk. Epidemiologists, we don't like risk. So just that said, I've long ignored a lot of what they say. And I just take precaution and say, I'm going to err on the side of caution. How do I do that? And I'm also going to err on the side of compassion and love. How do I do that? So when someone comes by me, if they don't want to be vaccinated and they don't want the mask, they don't want any of that, that's okay. Because my ultimate goal is to share with them love, right? And Jesus. And so they're going to see that through me. So I'm not jumping in where I'm going to point fingers and yell and say, because as a Christian, we got to do better, right? We got to stand up and say, and we may not always believe each other's perspective. And I get that. I see that. So I do the best I can for my family. I do the best I can to protect my friends and and people I come in contact with. And I pray for them, you know, that they're going to be safe. But at the same time, more important is I'm there to show up with love. There's a lot of pushback that's going on right now with everything COVID. And we're talking with Dr. Rhonda Spencer Wang. She's an epidemiologist. And epidemiologists actually study the patterns and frequency and causes of disease in the human population. Rhonda, this fall, a lot of us are feeling that frustration. We're feeling that fear. And we're also going like, what's truth? You're trying to break through and We're just seeing so much pushback. For me, I just say, study your own, do what you can do, because I I understand some people don't want the vaccine, they're really fearful, and from the data, because I get the data on my phone every day of who's got COVID, who's not, and so when I look at the data and I look at the risk, I say, okay, the one's likely getting in the hospital, and the hospitals are filling up, and I've never seen anything like this in our hospitals, I say, get the vaccine and reduce your risk. However, if you're one of those who you are so fearful of that and you don't want it, then you need to work on ways that you reduce your risk, right? And it's this kind of, it's not like an all or nothing. I kind of look at it as like a scale. So I say, do the things that you can to reduce the likelihood of you catching it. So the science behind says, if you get the vaccine, you really reduce your risk of getting hospitalized and dying. And we saw this tearing through certain families here in San Bernardino County. So it, it was really tragic. But I am just trying to get them to reduce the risk. However, I don't watch the news all the time. Even when the CDC says, you know, no masks, I knew like, no way, man, I'm masking till this virus is gone from the country. I'm going to mask because I had it and I don't want it again. Yeah, it's a little bit uncomfortable, but, you know, I think keep the numbers down so that the government won't want to close the schools. They won't want to close the businesses. So that's kind of my perspective is, I'm wearing the mask, not because it's mandated here, but because I want to keep the numbers low so I can help people save their jobs. I'm going to help kids stay in school because of the abuse that takes place outside. Schools is the one place where kids can be safe, right? Well, for a number of kids, it's their safety space. So I'm protecting that for them. That's what I say. Just do the things that reduce your own risk. Take stock in your life of, okay, if you are out and about or you have a lot of gatherings in your home, chances are you're going to come into contact with the virus. So you think, okay, I can't tell if I look at you if you're not going to be one of those long haulers. When I look at the data that tells me, I can't tell who's going to be completely 100% okay and who might not be a long hauler or who might not pass away, right? And so I don't like 
the risk. So I do the things to reduce my risk. But you're talking to someone in general who I pick my grocery cart on a good day by the ones that are baking in the sun. (laughs) Right. And and you will laugh. I get the ones that are way out because the handles have been baked and no virus is going to survive. So I don't think it is a black and white thing. I think of what can I do in my life where I'm going to reduce the risk in my life. So, I mean, I don't like being sick. And I ignore a lot of the, we're going to wear masks, we're not going to wear masks. I just wear masks because I have to go into the lecture hall. And my students, I love them, but they are often carrying other things I don't want. So for me, it's just a level of comfort, you know, but I understand there's people who they adamantly hate it, right? They hate the mask. So to them, I, I say, you know, I'm not mandating masks or not masks, but I say, if you can stop the spread from one person, right? You don't want to get it yourself. And then if you get it by that time, you've possibly spread it. If you can remove yourself from that chain of infection, you likely not only reduce the risk of somebody catching it, you know, and maybe somebody becoming a long hauler or die, but you also improve the likelihood of businesses staying open And right now I'm all for, you know, I I want these businesses to thrive. I want our schools to reopen and and for kids to go. And so that said, I'm stopping and making myself a link removed from that chain. And that's how I view it. There's a lot of talk about how this new school year is going to play out with everything COVID. We're talking with Dr. Rhonda Spencer-Wong today at SWIS Radio. She's an epidemiologist in Southern California. She's also a professor at Loma Linda University. Rhonda, as you've studied all the data that's going on with this COVID season, you think, okay, you had COVID and you don't want to get it again, but you're hearing that people are, and you go, how is this different than getting the flu and then your body telling you, hey, I've already had that, I'm not getting that again, or a vaccine that's telling your body, hey, you've already had this even though you haven't. How exactly does all that work? So there's some bacteria, some viruses where if you're sick, your body's going to remember for a long time. For example, like cholera. Okay, so one of the reasons cholera was so bad back in the 1800s, you know, of course it was in the water, but your immunity didn't last a long time, you know, maybe three to six months, right? You had cholera. How can you get this again? Shouldn't your body remember? Well, there are certain things the body can remember, certain things it cannot. And we're still learning when is it likely a person will be reinfected, right? And we are seeing people who had mild symptoms, they're getting reinfected and the second time it was stronger. Or we're seeing people who are vaccinated, and this is with any vaccine, you'll always have some sort of breakthrough, right? And we are seeing a few breakthrough cases with, it's not one in particular, but any of the vaccine. So we do have that, but it just has to do with how your body remembers certain things. And for most vaccines, right, a lot of them you do have to get boosters. This depends on uh, which vaccine it is. But it depends on how your body responds. The longer this virus is here in our country or even around the world, right? We've seen how easy it was for a virus to come to the U.S. and spread from another country. So the longer the virus is circulating in the world, the more it can slightly change, right? And it adapts itself because its goal is to survive. So the more that these variants come, the more slightly changes, the smarter it gets. And eventually, if it hangs around a long time, there's a possibility it will eventually evade the vaccine. So far, all the variants that come, the vaccine is very effective. But yeah, it just depends on how the body responds. 
And for people who are transplant recipients or other people who are immune compromised, their body is not able to, they get the vaccine, but they don't make enough immunity from that vaccine to withstand the virus. So the vaccine doesn't even really work for them because they're immune compromised. So we have, um, and here in our Loma Linda area, I know we probably have a lot of people that are that way. Thanks for listening to the SOS Radio Podcast with Scott Harold. If this discussion encouraged you, feel free to share it with your friends on social media.